hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. Joining me as usual, I've got Rohan. Good morning, Rohan. Thank you for waking up. <laughs> Good morning. I pretty much didn't until <laughs> I got woken up this morning, so. Yeah, sorry about that. No, that's good. Joining us today, we have Mark from the UK. Hey, Mark. Welcome. Hey, Phil. Hey, Rohan. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant project. Configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with any router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. Mark, whereabouts in the UK are you from? Uh, I'm from uh, Bicester in the UK, so around about the centre of the UK, really. Uh, just moved around about a year ago, so was a bit further down, now a little bit further up. Nice. Thanks for taking the time to come on and, and talk about your home assistant journey. I guess that we can just dive right into it and sort of give us like a background on, on how you started using Home Assistant. Well, I came across it by chance, really. I imagine like a lot of people do. Uh, I was working with someone at the time and they mentioned this Home Assistant and they knew that I liked technology. <laughs> so I was right, okay, yeah. I'll have a little look. And um, I didn't actually really do anything with it for uh, a month or two. When I revisited it, they mentioned it again. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll have a play. And I really liked it. And funnily enough, the person who introduced me to it stopped using it and didn't really carry on with it. But um, I really took to it and, uh, you know, haven't looked back since, really. That's funny. Why why did they stop using it? I don't know, actually. I think it was time, you know. Mm. (laughs) It takes up a lot of time, doesn't it? They just kind of got over it. Yeah, basically, yeah. But, um, you know, it did take up a lot of my time. Well, it still does, I guess, really, like I'm <laughs> sure it does you guys. Yeah, yeah. There's always one thing, right? It's never-ending, right? Like, there's always something. I, I Actually, just before we jumped on this call, I was installing a new theme on my home assistant, and I was just playing around with it, and then I looked at the time, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm, I'm going to be late. Like, there's always something to play around with, right? Yeah, yeah. It takes up uh, yeah, too much time, maybe the missus would say, but um, yeah. she's very understanding. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's, it's again, it is it is one of those things which there's a lot of care and feeding, but, you know, if you like it, it's, it's good, right? So Yeah, and I think it is one of those things that evolves as well, isn't it? You know, you start off small, and then you're like, oh, well, I'll bolt this on, I'll add this on, I'll do this, I'll do that. And before you know it, it's become a complex beast that yeah. only really you understand. Um, so I think it's then trying to trim it back down again as well, really, isn't it? To make it actually usable for everyone in your household. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't bothered with the trimming down yet. But yes, the rest <laughs> of it, the rest of it, I completely agree. <laughs> So how how long have you been into home automation? Like was was Home Assistant your first kind of entry into it or did you uh, did you do a bunch of stuff before or just like even like little things like just doing stuff on the Amazon Echo and stuff like that or like, you know, how did that uh, come about? I'd say not a huge amount, really, actually. I used IFTTT for a little bit, okay. you know, played around, but only had a couple of automations on there, really. Um it was fairly limited. I'd say that probably the strength of the IFTTT was that you could give it custom commands, you know, so that you didn't have to say to Google, can you open this app and do this? You could just say a command. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used that. But actually, before that, I used something called X10. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Probably oh, X10, yes. 20, yes. 25 years ago now, maybe. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. So uh, I did have some of those things. Uh, my parents were also very understanding. And uh, <laughs> I had, um, I think, a couple of sockets and a couple of lights. 
and uh, a remote by the bed and obviously thought that was super cool you know that i could turn the lights on and off by the bedside um <laughs> did you have the um like the physical cog on each device like to change the house code like a b c d um and then you'd have like a sub house code that you have to change with like a little screwdriver did you have that on your devices on x10 yes i did actually yeah, yeah. yeah. there was a lot more codes than i thought it needed given that there wasn't really anyone <laughs> using it <laughs> i think they, they just imagined that oh this x10 thing like it's going to take off right and every neighbor's going to have x10 in their house and it's going to conflict everywhere or there's going to be an apartment building but in reality i don't think you know it's only unless you're in this home automation bubble that people really know what x10 is right i doubt those house codes would have really conflicted yeah yeah i think you're right i have actually still got a couple of things somewhere because when i was sorting out the house when we moved i found out that one of the batteries was still in the remote and obviously oh. it corroded and got everywhere so yeah <laughs> so then i did have to chuck that away that's funny uh, that's annoying <laughs> so yeah so that's uh, a flashback from the past but um <laughs> Yeah, I don't use that anymore, obviously. And uh, yeah, it was just IFTTT. I did have a look at a couple of other apps, you know, out there that are similar. I'm not sure if it's Yonomi or something like that. I don't okay. know if you guys have heard of it. But again, it's it's limited to what you've got and it uses the cloud, obviously, doesn't it? Like most of them mm. do. So right. uh, I wanted to get away from the cloud, really. And that was one of the big things. As soon as I saw that Home Assistant um, not only was local, but already had so many integrations to things i was like you know this this is perfect this is what i've been looking for and didn't realize it yeah that's yeah that's it. it's i don't know it's, it's it's one of those things right again just like you said it's there's no cloud there's no bunch like there's not a lot of um you know craziness going on with home assistant but then you just you plug it in and it just kind of works right and there's just a bunch of stuff that shows up right and it's like okay cool and now from there you can start going on and you can build as it needs yeah well i think it's come such a long way as well hasn't it i mean i've been using it for probably just under three years now something like that i think yeah and and at the time i suppose it it was a bit of a barrier for some people because some areas you know were quite technical and yeah. um, but but now it's so plug and play to the extent where you can get something up and running in 20 minutes on it can't you from flashing the sd card to to getting a few things connected which is great yeah. Yeah. I think the user friendliness of Home Assistant is coming a long way. And I think it's this year in particular, it's, we're going to see that just jump even further. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember the States UI and yeah. I think that was fairly basic then really, wasn't it? And, um, and you it, had to use like the, the purpose of groups was to be able to make the States UI look nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't really use it much then because of that, maybe. I mean, you had to do everything, obviously, in YAML. And I think also you had to restart some parts of Home Assistant for even the UI changes to mm -hmm. take effect. Whereas now you don't think about changing the Lovelace UI, do you? And, and it's just there straight away. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's uh, that's the good old days. <laughs> but 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 that but that's it right i mean it's it's kind of that evolution of of the product right so so mark you've started off with you know x10 and, and you've gone to was it yanomi is that what it's yeah called? I, th I looked at that for a while yeah it's, a, it's an app on your phone which integrates the things but um but i haven't looked at those since have you gone to any other moved on to any other protocols now like you are you running any like Zigbee stuff around the house, like Philips Hue or 
what, what what's your when you, when you're looking for a device what's what's your go to well i would say the xiaomi things have become a massive part of my ecosystem mm. really uh, mm. you know they're so cheap but they weren't just cheap the quality seems to be there as well and they look nice so it's the key things isn't it you know aesthetics functionality and price and it's kind of got all of those really so i've got probably about 60 zigbee devices i would say with xiaomi mm-hmm. oh wow okay and then the other devices are wi-fi devices really so uh you know sunoffs and shelley's yeah there's probably a, a good 50 or so of those as well they, they just add up again i mean if you ask me where they were i, I wouldn't be able to tell you <laughs> <laughs> i'm producing a whole bunch of door sensors and, and window sensors that you just yeah forget about right yeah that's it yeah yeah but but they all still have their uses you just don't forget about it which i suppose is a good way to have it right where something just works and you forget that it's even there yeah yep, yeah definitely i think um Probably the best part of Xiaomi, which is an interesting one, because a lot of people use the um, combi sticks, don't they? And the um, Zigbee MQTT. Mm -hmm. Whereas I actually use the gateways, the gateways that, you know, the original Xiaomi Xiaomi gateways. gateways. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually have that in the cupboard somewhere. I I didn't, it didn't last long. Um, I think I bought it because I just assumed that, oh, it's Xiaomi Zigbee gear. I better buy the gateway. But then I got a bit weirded out by it. You know, you have to configure it and it talks Chinese to you. Um, and then I was like, oh, do I really want this sitting on my Wi-Fi network? Like, what, what's the Chinese government, you know, going to do with this sort of thing? So it didn't last long in my house. Did, uh, did you have it blocked from the internet or did you yeah. open stuff? So, yeah, so I invested in the Unify stuff and, yeah. and I've got it all segregated across VLANs and then... Um, yeah, so they can't talk out to the internet. In fact, mm-hmm. if anyone has problems with them, uh, what I found was instead of actually blocking the traffic to them, um, you can do a reject instead. So it basically, instead of dropping the packets, actually tells the device uh, that the packets have been rejected. And the reason I did that was because I found that sometimes they were rebooting themselves and some of the sensors were not triggering immediately. So, you know, the PIRs were taking a while to respond or what have you. So that solved the problem for me at least. So really, okay, so maybe the, yeah, they must be smart enough to think, okay, I'm not getting an internet connection. My, I might need a new DHCP lease or something, just reboot and and start again, try and get an internet connection. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. So the reason I went for them actually was because it wasn't just so that they could act as gateways for the Zigbee devices. So uh, the original ones, at least, I think the new ones don't have it anymore, but they've got a light on Mm. and they've got, um, uh, they can create sounds as well. So it actually is quite a big part of our setup. So we've got four gateways and we have uh, one on each floor and then one in the garage as well. And yeah. they act as uh, doorbells so that we can hear it, you know, oh. throughout the whole house. And also if I'm out in the garage doing some DIY or what have you, you can hear the doorbell still as well. Yeah. Interesting. Good idea. So, so, yeah, so, so, so the gateway handy. hardware itself has a, I guess, a speaker in it. Yeah. yeah. It's got a little speaker and a light in it. Yeah. And, and, oh, I have seen those. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay. That's yeah, cool. so it's handy for that. And it's also... 
handy. So for the light, basically, we use that as the night light on each landing. Mm-hmm. So at night time, we don't actually use the main lights at all, apart from, you know, in the main rooms like the lounge. We just use those gateways. So if you get up in the night or what have you, then the PIRs detect you're about and the lights on the gateways um, go off instead. So uh, it was a way of, of solving, you know, instead of having dimmable lights and things like that and setting different brightnesses at different times, we just use the gateways. Yeah, that that's awesome. Sense. Yeah. yeah. How do you trigger the gateways when a doorbell's activated? Like, or what do you have a smart doorbell that Chromecast talks to? So I just kept it simple, really. You know the Xiaomi buttons that you can get, that the battery-powered circular ones. So I've just got one of those stuck on the door, and um, the missus says, "Look, it needs to be discreet." So I put it on the door, and it blended in with the white door frame. But unfortunately, it blends in so well that a couple oh, no. of people don't even notice it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You sort of need to get like a little uh, bell sticker to stick on it so it looks like a doorbell or something. <laughs> yeah, make it yeah. less discreet. <laughs> yeah, people have got used to it now, though, you know, because we, we have a lot of the same delivery men. But, yeah, yeah, so it just has a multi-purpose, really. So that's why I like the gateways. But I can understand why others, you know, would, would go down the other route, uh, especially if, you you know, you can't block the internet traffic to it, then, um, you know, you would probably want something else. Mm-hmm. Do you use the Xiaomi gateway? Like, have you set up the automation for that, you know, doorbell in the Xiaomi gateway itself? Or does it all go through Home Assistant and do the automations through there? Yeah, it all goes through Home Assistant. Yeah, you're right. The gateways can do it themselves, can't they? Mm. But um, I had problems, I think, partly probably because the internet was blocked that it didn't always work properly. And I wanted central control anyway. I think you have to use the app to build the automations, right? So if the other doesn't have internet access, then you can't really create yeah automations on there yeah you're right yeah because you can't get into the app to access the mm-hmm. devices when they've got the internet so uh yeah so that's quite tricky but i don't actually do it in home assistant as such to be honest with you i make really heavy use of no dread so ah. it, it yeah so i'm a no dread man and and obviously thankfully because the add-on's so great with home assistant it, it works so well and you know the web socket between the two um, it's seamless, really, so uh, I don't really see any delays, you know, in, in automations triggering or anything. Um, obviously, a lot of techies like to have uh, the, the sort of YAML automations in Home Assistant, but I think even if you're technical, being able to see the flows in there and, you know, the visualizations really helps to see what's going on and what might be going wrong with your automations. Sure. So I think they're a good pairing. Yeah, I mean, if it if it works, it's effective, right? Then at that point, and why why bother? But so, what's your what's your and and this is something Phil and I have gone back on quite a uh, quite a bit is from a no no dread. Do you like the do you like that flow kind of diagram? Is it like how how like how does it defer to you? Is it is it just the in the YAML side like the logic is is it just too uh, cumbersome? Like is is that like, like what, what's what's the need for the extra plugin? I would say probably it's because it's come a long way in terms of automations in Home Assistant, hasn't it? Let's be honest. So um, yeah. three years ago, doing automations in there did have a bit of a ceiling and some things were either very difficult to do or you couldn't really do through an automation. You know, the conditional logic would get so complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I would say, yeah, you could do most of them with the automations and Home Assistant now, but because I already went that route, you know, I've stuck with that. Yeah. No, that's so fair. do you guys use Node-RED or do you do all the automations in Home Assistant? It's funny because Rahan and I were talking about this on the last episode and, and I actually have a, a really, like, every time that someone suggests Node-RED, I always like, oh, like, I just, I think it must be my developer brain. I just can't get my head around how things work in Node-RED, like having to do all the flows. Like, I've got, you know, you just described the big conditional blocks in YAML and it gets crazy. I have those, right? And I'm comfortable with those. I have, uh, I can see how it works. But just me thinking about trying to put that into a flow and clicking and dragging things in Node-RED, it just, I, it, it would take me all day to do something I could do in two minutes in, in YAML, if that makes sense. <laughs> That's I think, really interesting because I, yeah. I kind of think of it as the opposite sometimes mm. now. I, I, I go, all oh, right, I just need to do this. I'll just drag a box here, drag drag a box there, you know, and it's done. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think ideally for me, we would have the that like same node level, Node-RED type of functionality within Home Assistant, right? Rather than it being an external mm. app. Um so I I do I do use the built-in automation engine, but I, I I don't I don't completely disagree with you, Mark. Especially when you're using like uh, the templating engine and like a bunch of stuff layered on there, it, it does get pretty complicated, right? But um, I think for me, it's just more than that. I just I don't want another thing to manage, which is a big reason why I don't use Node-RED. Right? Yeah, I agree with you, and I think if. If you had to run it on a separate system as well, I wouldn't have gone there because, like you say, the more things you've got, right, the more things to go wrong, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I try and have everything on the same system. So if if I talk about what home systems running on, for example, I've put it all on an Intel NUC. And so everything that communicates with each other is internal, if you see what I mean. So, you know, it hasn't yeah. got to go over the Wi-Fi to get to this because mm. then there's always a risk, you know, that, that it's not going to work, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, or or just, you know, having to maintain, oh, don't upgrade this past version, whatever, and then upgrade <laughs> that past, upgrade that to whatever else, right? And I mean, we saw the security bulletins come out for Home Assistant, things like that, and then ha- having to deal with the dependencies, essentially, yeah. is yeah. is what, I mean, I I do already deal with some but i don't know that i want to deal with more right yeah yeah because i mean the add-ons can obviously stack up quite quickly as well can't they if you, yeah i'm sure you've probably got a good 20 or so uh different components in there yeah exactly yeah there's there's enough <laughs> there's a lot of files so you've so, got your nook running so what did size like how, how big of a, a the Intel Nook have you got? Have you got like a fancy Nook? Have you got like the base model? No, I, I went pretty base really. So I've got an Intel Nook i3, mm-hmm. and I put VMware ESXi host on it, so it's virtualized. So I've got Home System running on one VM on it, mm-hmm. and then I've got another Windows VM which is running uh, Blue Iris for the mm-hmm. camera software. Yeah. But the great thing is as well is you can spin up another one for Home Assistant, you know, and use it as your dev instance. So I've got two dev instances on there now and nice. I've become a bit more disciplined about deploying things. So before, yeah. you know, you just change things on the fly and go, oh, well, you know, sorry, this isn't going to work for 10 yeah. minutes. But I've found now that, you know, the missus um, might get a bit angry if things stop working all the time, you know. So, oh, sorry, I'm just playing with this. So I do tend to test it out on dev now and then, 
at night time when she's in bed or what have you, you know, move it across to the live version. That's interesting. So how do you then, how do you manage your test environment? Sort of, for example, like if I'm running uh, my production environment here, I've, you know, I'm connected to my Z-Wave network, I'm connected to my ZigBee network and all the cloud instances. Spinning up another home instance instance and then testing things isn't really ideal because, you know, the ZigBee network, the Z-Wave network are running in production. Like, how do you, do you have like a, a test suite or have you got like fake entities that you're running in a test environment to sort of trick those automations that you're working on? Well, I've got some spare devices. So I have a few spare buttons, you know, and a few spare door sensors. And then you can just get them to talk to the same gateway. So I'll still use the same production gateway, you know, but the mm-hmm. dev instance can talk to that as well. And then you just use the test button, say, to try something out and then just change the code once you're ready and say, right, well, now it's this button, you know, that's by the bedroom lamp or what have you. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. okay. Yeah. So changing gears a little bit. Um, I mean, how do you, how do you drive a lot of your automations and things like that? Is it just mostly just again, automated or do you trigger it using like some kind of tactile, like buttons or NFC tags or something like that? Or do you just, um, use Amazon echoes, Google homes? How do you, how do you do that? I would say the main way we use it is through the Google homes actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we've probably got six or seven of those scattered around the house, you know, in different rooms. And yeah, that's a big part of our life, actually. I mean, to, to the point where if we go to friends' houses, you know, we'll, we'll go to say, do something and forget that, you know, yeah. that isn't even there. You know, I'm sure you guys have probably done that as well. Yeah. Once uh, twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just once yeah, twice. It's quite strange, really. Um, and obviously, we haven't got one in every room. And I've certainly been in other rooms, you know, where we haven't got one. And and you go to say something and don't realize it's not there to listen to you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, I've got it linked up actually through the integration that's available in Home Assistant. So that was probably one of the first things I did, which was obviously quite daunting. If, if you guys have ever tried it, um, you're with the SSL certificates and various other configurations you have to do, you know, and go into the Google console and create a new mm-hmm. app. Um, but it was worth it, you know, and it, it stood the test of time. I yeah. would say the only thing I've really changed on it is I used to use DuckDNS yep. uh, for, the, for the routing for it. Um, but when you become so dependent on it for your daily life, uh, you need it to be super reliable. And I found that DuckDNS, you know, unfortunately it's great service and it's free, but it did uh, sometimes have some minor outages. Mm-hmm. So I changed to uh, my own SSL certificate on my own domain, you know, and it's it's been rock solid since. And um, to touch wood, that's what I still use. Nice. Okay. Do you, do you use Let's Encrypt or anything like that, or you just use your straight up? You just bought a certificate that's signed. Yeah, I just bought a certificate. Um, nice. I can't remember off some website where it was cheaper than normal. <laughs> and yeah, so I just do that. And then we've got um, quite a lot of scripts in there because, you know, you can add lights and plugs, obviously, but you mm-hmm. can also add scripts through Home Assistant as well. Yeah. Um, and and then Google Home will just activate those scripts. So we've probably got a hundred or so different routines in Google oh, wow. for different things that trigger different scripts. Um, and that's the way we do most things. So for the lights, for example, we don't even really say turn on the light or turn off the light. 
we'll just say light and it will toggle the light because Google can't do toggling by default. Interesting. Okay. So so you have those maps, so you have specific commands that are mapped to specific scripts, so on and so forth, and then how do you how do you how do you keep track of what does what? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Well, you've you've got to try and keep it as simple as possible. So although I've got like a hundred or so in there, mm-hmm. uh, I've got them standardized across rooms. So say, for example, if you've got uh, a lamp and a light in each room with the default Google, if you say, turn on the light, for example, it will turn all the lights on in that room, yeah. which is quite frustrating. Mm. Um, so what I've got is I've got an entity called light and an entity called lamp in each room and then a routine linked to that. So that basically whatever room you're in, you can either say light or lamp and then the script will figure out which uh, light or lamp you mean that you want to turn on interesting and 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 you also do that based on what room or which which google home is inputting uh, or or is picking up that yeah that's it yeah so google homes are clever enough to know which room you're in um, and then it will trigger the entity for that specific room so use that quite a lot so we've got uh, some notifications where i'll ask for example um i'll i'll ask i'll say solar voltage and then for that Google Home, it'll announce through and say, right, you're currently generating two kilowatts and battery voltage is 26 volts or what have you. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very cool. That's very interesting. Okay. And so are they natural language? Like, is it, you know, what is the solar voltage or is it, you know, literally just a little phrase like solar voltage? <laughs> well, we keep it short and sweet. Yeah. It's not very natural. Mm. Um. I suppose you could do it either way, but, you know, the Googles and the Echoes really have still got a bit of a way to come, haven't they? I'm sure everyone's uh, shouted at theirs from time to time that it doesn't, you know, understand what you're saying. So we've just learned to do them. I mean, there's only two of us in our house, so we can do that. But I imagine, yeah, if you've got children and guests all the time, then, yeah, you'd need them a bit more friendly. Yeah. So it's a good way to teach your kids uh, to say please and thank you, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's the main way. Um, And then I would say, other than that, we do use the companion app as well. I mean, the the Android companion app is is fantastic, and it's really come a long way, hasn't it, in probably only nine months or so. Yeah. Like, remember, I think, Ram, we were talking about this all the time. I think you had the iOS app, and Mm -hmm. I was always like, you don't need an Android app. You've got HTML, like, just add it as a shortcut. You can do HTML push notifications. Like, there's no need for an Android app. That's why there's no one bothers, has, no one's bothered to create an Android app. But now, like, I couldn't live without it. Like, the, yeah, the notifications from the app in Android, like, are, like, infinitely better, right? Like, uh, being able to have actionable notifications and, and images in those notifications, yeah, it's much better. Yeah, well, and and there's all the presence data and all that stuff yep. too, right? It's so now you're you don't have a sep you don't need a separate presence sensor. Charging state, you know, is my phone charging? Is it discharging? What's the battery level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is fantastic. I, I actually stayed on, like you said, the like the Chrome website version mm. for quite a while. Um, until I realized how far along it was coming. And then I I quickly swapped. And I think week on week, I was seeing, you know, five, 10 new sensors at a time. So that's one thing I probably haven't really made good use of yet. I've got a a Lovelace um, view where it's got all of the sensors on for my phone, but I haven't really made good use of them yet. I don't know if you guys have have got any cool automations off the back of them. Just I mean, around the the phone itself and the state of the phone. Yeah, I think mine are just 
pretty basic. Like, like I do, I do use both of our phones as sensors, right? In terms of, are you home? Are you away? And then there's a ton. Most of my automations actually rely on presence, uh, or not most. Like a, some of my automations mm-hmm. rely on on presence. But outside of that, I haven't I haven't done. I I have wanted to do quite a bit of the uh, directional ones, right? It's like, hey, you're you left the work zone and now you're heading towards uh, home, zone. home, right? And except I work remote, and I, <laughs> I, even though I do have access to an office, I I almost never go. <laughs> So it's like and, and now, from the basement to the bedroom. Quick, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looks like he's going up the stairs, right? And it's <laughs> like, um, so you know, yeah. There, there, there have been some things I did want to do. I just never did. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's primarily I just use it as a as a sensor. I think I added my first automation just this week, actually, and it was for so there's sometimes my I'll go to bed before my wife and I've been putting little NFC stickers around my whole house, right? Like I've got it on my fan <laughs> on, um, on my desk. I've just got, you know, and I'm just going around the house, tapping things. I right? love them. And I thought, oh, I'll just put one on my bedside table so that if I'm going to bed first and my wife is staying up, you know, the house will at least keep the bedroom lights off so that when she walks into the bedroom, it doesn't turn on and I get woken up and get grumpy. Um, but then I thought, well, hang on. My phone. If I put my phone down on charge, I can actually home assistant can actually see that I put my phone on charge. So I've just added an automation that if um the TV in the living room is still on, uh, and I put my phone on charge, then the house will know. All right, Phil's gone to bed. Turn off the bedroom lights and don't turn them back on if motion's detected. Yeah, that's good, and it's quite instant as well now, isn't it? it yeah, it it knows straight away that it's gone on charge. I think you can also differentiate between wireless and wired. Mm-hmm. So if you've got different setups around the house, you can maybe even take advantage of that. Unfortunately, we've got wireless in most places, but um, it's definitely something I've considered. Yeah, definitely. So what would be one of your favorite automations like what is the if you think about you know oh, i want to show something off to my friends what what is that automation or script you set up in your house that you just like yeah this is awesome <laughs> oh that's a good question um well there's a few I, I would say one obscure one is is a good one to talk about is the meat sensor so okay. I've, um, <laughs> I, I bought one of those meat sensors you know where you stick it in a in a chicken or something like that and put it in the oven and it's yeah. what temperature it is and i took that thermistor from there and i wired it up to i can't remember if it was an esp8266 or esp32 now uh, one of those two anyway and i got the calculations off the internet of how you convert resistance into temperature etc mm. and then uh, i linked that into home assistant i can't remember if i used Tasmosa or I think it might have been an Arduino script script I had to yep. create for this one. But um, once I'd done that, then I could hook it into Google as well and hook it into the app. So I'd basically say, right, I'm cooking a chicken, so I'm going to go into the app and press chicken. Chicken would set it to however many degrees C it needs to be for when it's cooked. And then when it's reached that temperature it would do an announcement through Google throughout the house and it will say, oh, your chicken's ready now, you can take it out of the oven. So it's a bit of a strange one, but um, that's quite a good one to show off. It's handy. So even even if you're in the other room doing something else, whatever, you always, oh, crap, run back and pull it out, right? That's that's handy. I have a Weber barbecue, like a, a wireless meat thermometer, which is like the Weber brand barbecue, and it 
Okay. I think it just transmits over like 433 megahertz or something. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, right? Like you put the probes in, put the meat out on the barbecue, and it just transmits this little receiver, and you select, you know, chicken, beef, pork, temperature you want or whatever. I've always wanted to, you know, just buy like a 433 megahertz receiver, integrate it with Home Assistant, but I've never actually thought of a, a use case. But the way you described it, you know, having – if I could put in the temperature in Home Assistant and then have – you know, like those announcements set, you know, when the barbecue's done. Yeah, that that's really cool. Yeah. That might be another project to add to the list for this year. <laughs> yeah, it's probably one that doesn't get used enough, really. It's one of those that you think, oh, it would be great, and then you'll use it, you know, four or five yeah, times yeah, a yeah. year. But <laughs> yeah. Um, probably one of the other ones is a really simple one. Um, and I don't even know if you could call it an automation or such, but, you know, shall we do the water leak sensors? Mm. Yeah. So I've got a few of those. So we've got the water leak sensors in all of the bathrooms, in the kitchen, and underneath the washing machine in the utility room. And it's one of those where, you know, you spend so much money on all of this stuff, don't you? And you, you never expect it to pay back, really. But actually, this one, to some extent, has because it's saved us a couple of times, uh, particularly on the freezer that's in the garage. So I've got one underneath the freezer door um, out in the garage. And actually, it went off a a few months ago, like half 11 at night, you know, saying that there's a water leak. So I went out and yet the freezer was defrosting and we would have lost, you know, a a whole load of meat, probably 50 or 60 pounds worth. So. That paid for those sensors, you know, just for that one night, really. Yeah, it's you know what, it's it's funny because as I buy those kind of sensors, or like look at that, I've got a few of those, uh, I've got a few smart things ones just scattered around the house, and every time it's like, oh, do I need this? And then I was like, you know what, I really hope I waste the money on this because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to have to deal with it, right? And like it's like, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have used them for the other things as well, so. Um, I set it up as a rain sensor. I mean, yeah, I'm sure most people would say, well, just look out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I've um, connected one up where you can connect it to wires as well and then put two wires in the guttering. And then when it's raining, it just connects those two wires together, you know, and then sends me a notification and says, oh, hey, it's raining. So at least if you have left some washing out or something like that, then you get some early warning before it's too late, you know, that that it's raining and you need to bring the washing in. Yeah, I never, I never thought to put it in the gutter. That's actually, That actually is, makes sense. Yeah, yeah well, it's been there for about nine months now and it's still working, thankfully. Um, yeah. Over winter, obviously, the battery does degrade a bit quicker than the summer, but it, it mm. still lasted the winter and still going. Yeah, because most of those are built to be waterproof anyways, right? So mm. it's just a matter of, I guess, sticking it down and making sure it doesn't fly away in like a heavy breeze or something at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did attach wires to it so that the sensor is inside yeah. and then the wires oh, are in the okay. guttering. But you could probably, yeah, just put the sensor itself in there. Yeah, interesting. I like the idea of using the wires. So I have one in my shower so that when that gets wet, it knows, you know, that someone's in the shower and so the turn the lights off. <laughs> yeah yeah well otherwise the motion sensor you know times out after a certain amount of minutes yeah. and then if you're in the shower the lights turn off on you but that way once it detects water okay all right don't turn the shower off until the water's cleared out but the problem is that the sensor gets too once there's water under the sensor you need to really lift the sensor up to dry it out so you know naturally yeah. you'll be it'll look like someone's in the shower all day unless you actually pick up the sensor and dry it out 
But I like mm-hmm. the idea of using wires, put them near the, the drain. That would be, Usually. That be handy. Why, why don't you just use a, like a humidity sensor? Because if you're showering anyways, then... No, well, just... I, I find that the, either the humidity sensor doesn't update frequently enough mm-hmm. um, to conserve battery on that sensor, or um, because we've got the fan on or the exhaust fan on anyway, which is in the shower, yeah. the humidity doesn't rise enough to detect it, if that makes sense. Okay. And then same thing, once the humidity's up, it doesn't go down for a few hours anyway, for whatever reason. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I think I had the same challenge, really. I I tried that with the humidity. But what I do do is I do use the humidity sensors. um, I I do use it as part of the automation to turn the fan on. So one of our fans is where you have to actually turn it on manually, you know, for it to extract. And so... I just made that smart by saying, look, if the humidity is above a certain amount, then trigger this smart switch, which is connected to the fan, you know, to turn that on in the bathroom. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So turn it on manually. What's that like? Okay. <laughs> I was picturing like you would have to pull the motor, like, you know, and, like a lawnmower, like a start a yank or something. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I've got one more story about the water leak sensors, actually. So um, the, the classic one that you have it there in case there's a leak, heaven forbid. Well, I decided one day that I really needed to clean the plug hole out. So I was like, oh, this is getting terrible, messy, you know. So I'll clean it out properly. So I'll unscrew this a little bit, you know, and clean it up. Not realizing that it actually unscrewed the whole mechanism where the water goes down. So when I went to clear it, I started putting water down there and it was going all over the floor. And I got a phone call um, from home assistant saying, saying there's a water leak detected in the bathroom. I was like, hold on, I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no. <laughs> So that actually probably saved me for a few minutes of flooding the bathroom as well when I realized what had happened. That sounds painful. Yeah. When you say you got a call from home, did it actually physically call your phone? Or was it just on like the Google Assistant that yelled out to you? Yeah, yeah. So I um, one of the integrations I use is Twilio. And I find that really handy because um, you can get it to call when there's really important things, you know. So, like, um, Mm. when we leave the house, for example, it'll activate the alarms. And if it detects anything at home, uh, then it will call both of our phones through Twilio and say, hey, look, the front door has been opened. You might want to check out Mm -hmm. your cameras. Interesting. That's it. That's a good way of doing it. Yeah, for critical notifications, right, where you need to get you know, someone's attention, not like a text message, not in-app notification. You actually need, you know, the attention of, of someone. A phone call is the best. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door.
Do you find Twilio is expensive for that purpose? No, I, I think it's worth looking into. I do actually pay for it now. Um, I got uh, something like £10 worth of free credits, and now I pay about £1 mm-hmm. a month for the phone number. But I think one pound a month okay, is pretty right. reasonable, Not and bad. and the phone calls are like you know quarter of a pence or something. So um, I have yeah. one test call each month, which phones me on a Sunday, you know, the first Sunday of each month, just to make sure everything's working okay and the integration's still working. And then all the others are just phone calls. Yeah, if there's emergencies, so not very often. It's just to check in on you, make sure you're alive. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always get surprised by it still, though. I'm like, oh, Home Assistant's ringing me. What is it? It's like, oh, it's just the test. <laughs> <laughs> Every Sunday at 3 p.m., you're like, oh, something's happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's interesting. I wonder, is it smart enough that you could, like, punch in, like, a code back to Home Assistant to say, yes, I've acknowledged this message? Yes, you can actually. I haven't done much with it, but I have actually got it set up so that you can um, text Twilio back and then it will make an API call back to Home Assistant. And at the moment, I've got it so that you can do, say, turn heating on through a text message and then it will turn the heating That's on. Obviously, cool. you'd probably just yeah. use the app. You know, there's not much point in that. But yeah, you definitely mm-hmm. can do that. Mm. Interesting. Because you could do like, you know, a distress call, right? Like, you know, some, if the burglars come into your house, you know, home assistant calls you and you have to put in a, a distress code, right? Say, no, something's not right here. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah, to clear, sort of clear the alarm. Yeah. Hmm. That is interesting. And so you're just using the the apps on your phone for presence? No other, you know, like, do you use your alarm control panel for presence as well? Or is it just the your app? that you're tracking who's home we don't use the app for presence to be honest with you um we've got quite a few things things driven off presence detection so i i try to look for you know the most accurate way possible really you know and there's a lot of different things out there isn't there of use multiple sensors to increase reliability etc and and I don't think any of them really get you, you know, that 99%. The best thing I've found, which I've used for probably about two years now, maybe a little bit longer, is I use iBeacons. So I use the Room Assistant add-on for Home Assistant, and that's on a few Raspberry Pis around the house. So I've got three Mm -hmm. set up around the house. And then they just detect iBeacons, one that's in my wallet, and then one that's in the Mrs. handbag. So, you know, whenever we leave the house, I always take my wallet with me and she always takes her handbag. So um, the, the reason I like that as well is, is it's quite instant, really. So I set about a one minute timeout so that after one minute, it knows that you've left. Yeah. And then when you get home again, as soon as it detects the eye beacon, which is, you know, around about when you're in the garden or something yeah. like that, a bit further away maybe, then it knows you're home, you know, and, and can trigger whatever you want it to trigger. So are the eye beacons like similar to like a tile, um, you know, like a little Bluetooth tracker that you can stick yeah. in your wallet or something? Yeah, that's it. And they're, they're fairly cheap. They're, I think they were about £10 or so at the time or something. And they're similar to the, the Zigbee things, you know, the, the battery life-wise. They, mm. they last a year or two really, so you don't have to change them all the time. So, yeah, I've just got one in my wallet, um, just on the outside of the wallet so that it gives better signal and then one on the sort of uh, handbag near the outside. And, yep. yeah, that does the job, really, and we, we don't think about it too much. Um, occasionally, if you get an issue with the Wi-Fi, 
um, then it might be a problem because I'm using a couple of Raspberry Pi Zeros, which mm. I found sometimes struggle to reconnect to the Wi-Fi if there is a problem. But other than that, it's really rock solid. And the batteries are replaceable? You can replace them yourself? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, can replace perfect. them just with the standard nice. CR2032 batteries. Yeah, that's perfect. I know um, like with the tiles, I think you can set something up similar but you can't have them linked to the tile app. So you basically have to have the tiles in pairing mode, um, yeah. which sort of is great. But then when a tile's out in the wild, like let's say you put you know, a tile on your bike and you leave it in yeah. pairing mode for home business to detect, that means someone walking past with the tile app can't, you know, find that tile for you. So, uh, yeah, so it's a bit, bit tricky. But, yeah, I haven't just set to the tile app. And use the cloud interface for that. Uh, right. I mean, I quite like your way of doing it, Phil. I think you use Wi-Fi, don't you? Mm, I'd have probably yeah. opted for that if I didn't go with the iBeacon approach. Um, it's just that I think sometimes the missus does uh, turn off her Wi-Fi and use 4G instead or what have you for whatever reason. So mm-hmm. I just yeah. felt that, you know, if it was something in a bag that she didn't think about, then it was a bit better. Um, I considered, you know, the classic GPS and having an iBeacon as part of your phone app, you know, because obviously Mm -hmm. that's got Bluetooth. But I found that because phones always try and save power, a lot of them, you know, turn off every now and again to save power. It's really, really difficult to to stop apps closing on their own and, you know, work consistently. So I I, I gave up on that approach. I found the same thing with the Tile app. So my wife has an iPhone and she's got the Tile app on her phone, but if her battery gets too low, the iPhone will activate battery saving mode. Yeah. And when yeah. that mode is activated, the tile app stops reporting locations. Yeah. So, to save you know, battery. Exactly. Yeah. And I think for whatever reason, once the phone's charged, the battery mode, battery saver mode doesn't get deactivated. So it stays oh, in battery saver mode until it gets turned off. Really? Maybe, maybe I'm just making that up, but okay, that's, yeah. yeah, there's a setting that needs to be flicked on. I kind of feel like we need a, a super techie mode, you know, for these phones where you can turn it on and say, look, I want these apps to do what they want when they want. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But that's that would really cool, actually. But, but the point, but then you kind of defeat the purpose of battery mode too. Yeah. <laughs> or battery that's save true. mode. But. So I, I suppose a lot of them are the standard things, you know, when you leave the house and um, all the lights turn off, for example. I've got um, some things on some plugs as well. So one that was quite handy was the um, hair straighteners that are on a plug. So <laughs> I've got the um, Sonoff S26, I think it is, um, plug with Tasmota flashed onto it. Mm-hmm. And, and then that talks home assistant. And then I can turn that on and off. So when we leave the house, uh, the hair straighteners always turn off because she has been known to leave them on before, you know. And um, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. we actually came home once and... Um, the uh, robot Hoover had uh, had its way with the wire oh, for it, no. and the hair straighteners were halfway across the room. So. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that's... don't they have like auto shut off now for that purpose? Like most of them would come with timers, I would have thought. I think her latest ones do, to be fair. But yeah, yeah, I've still got the plug on there at the moment, though. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Enough. That's a that, that's what, that's a really useful one that I never thought of because I have that exact problem at all. <laughs> Yeah. I, th- I think hers has an auto shut off one, but it's, it's, I don't know if I trust it. <laughs> That's my yeah. issue. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so yeah, the standard things turn off when you leave the house. And then when we come home, as I was saying, it detects when you're fairly close to home, really, you know, within the garden or so. So then all the lights turn on so that we can see what we're doing, you know, see, put the key in the door, etc. Yeah. Um, but, but also um, things like the alarm system and the cameras, they trigger when we leave and when we come home. So I've got it set up so that when we leave at the moment it makes an API call to Blue Iris and says, right, change the profile from home mode to away mode. And then the cameras start, you know, recording. So when we're at home, it will just record in low definition. And then when we leave the house, you know, it will record in high definition. Right. Um, Particularly the one in the lounge. Where are your cameras recording to? Like, are you pushing that up to the cloud or have you got them recording just locally somewhere? So I've got them recording locally at the moment. Um, because yeah, I didn't want to do it on a normal cloud service, mm. but I do replicate some things to an FTP server as well. So nice. I was doing just images, but I've just upgraded our internet the other day actually, so that we could uh, get more upload bandwidth so that, um, I can yep. start uploading some video footage as well. So the plan is, is to upload some video footage, uh, going forwards as well. Yeah. Cause my, I've always thought if I was to have cameras inside the house, if, if, the day was to arrive that someone broke into the house. The first thing they're going to do, right, is they're going to see this big black box that's making a lot of noise and flashing lights. They're going to either turn it off straight away or they're going to yank it, right, and, and take it with them. And in which case, they've got, you know, terabytes of my data, but also all the video of them in the house, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so And you're at a few hundred bucks too. At least, right? <laughs> yeah. Mine's fairly hidden, to be honest. And um, like I say, it does upload some things to the cloud. And I do plan to, yeah, upload more of it. But the one in the lounge is, you know, one that you don't really want to have recording when you're home, you know, for privacy, mm-hmm. even though it is all locked down. Um, yeah. But when we leave the house, obviously you do want it to. So, yeah, it turns on the, the lounge camera when we leave and then it'll record. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then other things are the door sensors and the motion sensors. So if we leave home and the front door is opened or the back door is open, then, you know, it will make the Twilio phone call just like the water leak sensors do and say, hey, someone's at home, check yeah. it out. The motion sensors, are they also those jammy motion sensors? Yeah, they are. I, I found them to be brilliant again. We don't really get any, well, actually, I don't think I've ever had a false positive on them. Uh, mm. I do make sure that we place them in areas, you know, where the sun can't shine directly on them just in case. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, they've been excellent. I've got some of the first generation ones, you know, where they don't have the look sensor. Right. Yes. And then the second generation ones, the Akara ones, I think, they're, they're brilliant because they've got a look sensor as well. So you can actually detect how light it is in the room. Yep. So, um, so actually, instead of then detecting and saying, oh, um, it's, you know, it's now nighttime because the sun is set, you can actually say, well, is it dark in this room to turn the lights on? So I kind of combine the two and say, well, is it nighttime? But also, is it actually dark in the room? So that if you've got, you know, a really dull day, like you do in the UK quite a lot, then um, it will turn them on in the daytime as well. Yeah, that's that's really nice. It's For me right now, that's something I'm lacking. And I, I was looking at, like, getting some 
light sensors or, or lux sensors right just to mm. just to give that kind of variance because right now my automations are still hey okay like whatever it's this much before sunset turn on the lights so on and yeah. so forth right which is sometimes a little like you said especially in winter like if we have a really gloomy day it's you're not going to get enough light or anything like that right so it's actually through the day so oh, i really like that maybe i should look at the xiaomi ones then yeah for... that's what i love my z-wave multi-sensors because they've got like the temperature humidity yeah the um luck sensor as well right as well as motion uh, is that the aotech ones you have phil yeah i've got the six in ones and yeah. the four in ones yeah they're brilliant um but i also have because my curtains are, or blinds are automated also have triggers so that if the blinds are closed, then the lights can come on. Because sometimes there's right. a delay in the Lux reporting because they only report every, you know, like 60 seconds or two minutes, depending on if they're battery operated or not. So you don't want, you know, the blinds to go down and be pitch black for a couple of minutes until the, the new light reading comes in. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. The way the Xiaomi ones work is they send a Lux reading every time they detect motion. So mm-hmm. it is, yeah, every minute or so, um, but only when you when it detects motion. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess because they're waking up to send a signal anyway, they may as well just send up the payload over at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so that's that's just uh, yeah, a useful addition really to the normal lights sure. turning on and off. We were talking about uh, when we leave the house. So one thing that I really like actually is that our hoovers go off. So, I mean, we don't go out as much at the moment, obviously, but, <laughs> but when we do go out, um, we don't have to think about the hoovers going off. So about 20 minutes or so after we've left the house, then if the hoovers have not been off in the last two days, then they'll go off and do the hoovering so that when we come home, everything's been done. So I just do a look up against the state history there, you know, to say when was the last time that these hoovers were running and then, um, if they've not been running in the last few days, then set them off. And do you have automations to bring them home if you come home like within 30 minutes? Uh, that's a good one. No, I don't. I mean, that's why I delayed it so that they don't start as soon as we leave, to be honest, because if you mm. yeah pop around the corner for some milk or something, then you don't really want them going off. Um, yeah. But I suppose, yeah, I could do that and send them home. What brand of vacuum cleaners do you have? So I started off with an iRobot, the Roomba, the Roomba 980, which um, cost an arm and a leg, and I was told off for buying it. <laughs> yeah. But but um, it was fantastic, you know, and I really don't regret it, and we've still got it. It's great. Um, but then a couple of uh, years later, um, particularly when we moved, when we got more space, you know, we needed one for each floor, really. So... I got yeah. the uh, Robo Rocks. I can't remember which model. I think it might be the S55 or something like that. Okay. Uh, the white ones, which also got LiDAR. And, uh, you know, they were half the price of, of the iRobot one I bought. And they're just yeah. as good, really. So, uh, yeah, really handy they are. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's 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 insane, though. Like, when I when I first got mine, I have a 8-something, eight 860, something like that. But uh, it's right next to me here now. But... <laughs> it's uh you know it was it was so expensive right it was a few hundred dollars like i think well, it was probably like i don't know 500 bucks or something 600 bucks some of that now you look there's the equivalent actually even even from irobot it's like half the price right it's like mm. they, they've yeah. really come down in price do you have the ability to set zones with these models because i know like there's a xiaomi one yeah. that is available and you can like you can see like the map of your house on a, yeah. on a screen 
Yeah, that's what they are. So they are Xiaomi, the Raybo Rock uh, mm-hmm. range, I think, is, is created by Xiaomi. You, mm-hmm. you can do, um, but I think you have to go through the cloud for that, which is a bit unfortunate. And I've done the same again, that I've locked them down, you know, so they can't talk to the internet because I am yeah. one of those people where I, sure. you know, have the dream of, of locking it all down and nothing talking to the internet, really. So um, obviously the Google Homes are my vice. But. Yeah, it's a bit creepy, right? You don't want your uh, like vacuum cleaner just talking away while you're out, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they're great. That's awesome. All right, so we were talking before how you're using, you know, your Google Home um, and, your, and your scripts. What about like any announcements? I know I've got announcements for my dishwashers and washing machines. Do you use anything like that around your house? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So we have quite a few announcements. Um, Some of them are triggered where you can actually ask it things and then others are triggered based on the time of day. But I've kind of extended them a bit to make use of the PIRs. So... um, For example, on a Thursday, you know, it's bin day or it's recycling day. I used to have it where it would just say at 5 p.m., hey, Mark, uh, you need to put the recycling out. Um, But I've changed that a bit now because, you know, we might not be in or we might Mm -hmm. not be in the right room or what Mm -hmm. have you. So now it actually waits until we're in that room so that it will say when I'm in the kitchen, it will say, hey, Mark, it's time to put the bins out because then I'm there by the back door, you know, ready to go and do it. So I had a very similar thing. I I basically used the Amazon Echo developer console to record uh, the lady that shall not be named uh, of her <laughs> saying some snarky things about, you know, the dishwasher's ready. You should go and empty it, you know, or watch out. Don't empty the dishwasher. Like, if you open the dishwasher, I know you've opened it. Like, you'll know you have to put them away. <laughs> my goal was to, you know, encourage people that live with me, okay, my wife and anyone else that may be walking into the kitchen to, you know, actually want to empty the dishwasher instead of just leaving it sitting there clean and, and ready. But no, that didn't work, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> All I get is every time I walk into the kitchen, I get an annoying uh, announcement from the Amazon Echo lady saying, hey, your dishes are done, put them away. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Now, now, now she's just turned bitter. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Nice. Yeah, so I do that for a couple of other things as well. So like reminders. So I've got um, in the Home Assistant app, I've got a thing where there's a pull down and a, a text box where you can type in what you want your reminder to be. And then when I come downstairs in the morning, it will trigger. So, for example, if you want to take some meat out of the freezer, then... Uh, you don't necessarily know what time you're going to come down. You know, it might be seven o'clock, it might be eight o'clock or what have you, especially at the weekend. So um, when we go in the kitchen, then it will say, hey, Mark, take the meat out. So, yeah, it's just using that sensor with the time of day. I just find the combination works really well for different things. I like that. That's really nice. Because it gets you when you're at, like, at that moment, right? Like the perfect time to remind you as opposed to, you know, five minutes before where you're just going to put it in the back of your mind and, and forget about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've got one for the water pressure as well. So, you know, you often have to top up your boiler or something with the with the water pressure if it drops down. So every few mm-hmm. weeks I say, hey, check the water pressure and make sure that goes off on the landing, you know, where the boiler mm-hmm. is so that I don't forget and just do it there and then really. Have you thought about integrating things like groceries, uh, chore tracking, um, to sort of, you know, like mark things when they're being done, you know, little jobs around the house? 
Yeah, I have, and I've heard you guys talking about it, I think, on the last podcast as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I downloaded it, God, it must be six months ago, and I even went to the extent of buying a scanner, and then I realized oh, nice. that I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You went all to all that effort to buy a scanner and all that, and they go, hang on, I can't be bothered doing this, and then just gave up. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> It's, it, it, you know what, Mark? It's it's so funny because I've I've done the exact same thing, right? Like I, I set up uh, grocery, I did all that stuff, and I was like, okay, you know, it's a cool like recipe repository. It's a cool like whatever, right? You do all that like you to do yeah. list and whatnot, and then it's like, yeah, am I actually gonna do this? Like, am I gonna take an inventory of my fridge, whatever? I'm like, oh, it's probably not gonna happen. Forget, it's probably not gonna happen the first time, let alone the twentieth, thirtieth, fortieth yeah. time, whatever. Yeah. Having to keep it maintained. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the key to automation, isn't it, really? Is it's got to be as minimal effort as possible and as seamless mm-hmm. as possible, hasn't it? You know, where you, it just happens, really, rather than you having to do things. And I think that's where I've moved towards because... I tried, you know, the NFC tags like you, Phil, and I think there are some good use cases, obviously, for them. But at the same time, it's it's like remembering to do it or particularly, again, you know, someone else in your family saying, oh, remember when you do this, you need to tap this tag with your phone, you yeah, know, yeah. and they'll just go, oh, sorry, I forgot to do it today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've tried to, to move on to ones that are a bit less, a bit more frictionless, really. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned that you had um, you know you had different ways of notifying right between Twilio between um, getting your Google Home to yell at you depending on the room you're yeah. in. How do you how do you distinguish what goes where? Is it that more kind of emergency stuff or, or like super important things go to uh, that go to your phone essentially call you through Twilio and everything else is kind of a little more mundane things or. Do you have some kind of like a formula for that, how you do things? It just tends to be the thing that's closest to that Google Home, you know, that it relates to. But I think yeah. one thing I've actually started using lately, which I didn't realize existed, which I think is great, is that, you know, you can send notifications to your phone and yeah. it will do text-to-speech for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I didn't realize this until a couple of months ago. So I've started transitioning some of mine now. Instead of figuring out what room, you know, to broadcast the Google Home to or what have you, it actually goes directly to your phone and just Mm -hmm. speaks it out loud. So if it's in your pocket. So I've done that for the bin automation now. So wherever I am in the house on a Thursday, it will just say, hey, Mark, it's time to put the bins out, you know, through my phone. And I've already got always got my phone on me. So, that Yeah. Interesting. And and does that assume that you're not, while you're not on a phone call, while, you know, things like, like what happens if you're walking around? Like, let's say you have your headphones in. Mark's walking down in, in the on the public transport, on the bus, and all of a sudden his phone says, Mark, it's time to take the meat out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Like, well... It, well, there, there's that, right? The and, and even that you can say, hey, go, like, if I'm at home, then do blah, blah, blah. But on the in, the in the context of actually, like, again, you're on a phone call, right? Um, I'm yeah. guessing, does, does that still push through? Does that not? That's a good question. I don't know. I haven't looked into it enough. I mean, I literally set it up about a month ago, this one, and it's worked great. But, you know, with the lockdown, we haven't really been anywhere. So yeah. <laughs> I suppose I haven't tested out those scenarios. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's something I should definitely look at. That's cool. Yeah, that that's... that. Wonder if that's an Android thing or if that's on the iPhone app too. I've I've 
this is the first time I'm hearing about that. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely worth looking at. I think it might only be Android because I think it uses the Google text-to-speech. Mm. Uh, I don't know how Home Assistant initiates it from that, but it does somehow. But yeah, that, that's really good. And then some of the other um, announcement ones I've got, I've set it up to uh, call some APIs. So for example, um, if I want to know when the next race of the Formula One is, I found that the Googles are not very good at telling you what's going on there or yeah. telling you what position they're in. So I just say, hey, tell me the Formula One and it will trigger a a script again in Home Assistant and it will go off. It will find out the information and then it will, you know, give you the announcement back through the Googles and, and tell you the information. That's pretty cool. So it basically it's a proxy for your to see who's leading in the F1. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, I was going to talk about the companion app a bit more, actually, because I, I actually don't use it very much. Um, yeah. I talk to the Googles for most things and I've got a lot of the Xiaomi buttons where, you know, I'll trigger things on and off through, through those. Um, but the missus has a, a few key buttons that she uses all the time. <laughs> and, uh, one of them is the toilet roll button. Yeah. So, um, she's got a button on the app that says, um, toilet roll and there's three sliders that say right how many toilet rolls do we need for this bathroom how many toilet rolls do you need for this one and then when when you press that when i'm near downstairs where the toilet rolls are stored it says um that hey mark you need to get one toilet roll for this one toilet roll for that <laughs> you know so that we don't get caught short <laughs> that's funny see that is that's practicality at its finest yeah <laughs> I was imagining like this Wallace and Gromit system would all of a sudden, you know, start pulling up pulleys in this right. toilet roll, like, you know, which start rolling up the stairs and, and landing in all the certain, you know, bathrooms that they need to go to. <laughs> that would be cool. I did actually try and um, use the hoovers to move things around because, you know, you can actually control these <laughs> robo-rock hoovers. <laughs> Obviously, they yeah. can't go up the stairs, but you can control them. I mean, it was it proved a bit too difficult in the end, but I do think in a few years' time, you know, hoovers and things like that, you will be able to say, go to this part of the house, you know, drop something on top of it, and then it will deliver it to you in your lounge, you know, your next drink or something. <laughs> yeah why, why why use legs at this point <laughs> wasn't there like a, a youtube video of someone putting like beers on a, a robo rock or something and, and having them delivered around the house maybe like for a football game uh, maybe i think there might have been yeah. sure saw... that's pretty funny yeah uh rohan i know that you've uh mentioned before about deep stack and I'm afraid I'm not going to solve all your problems, that's for sure. But I've certainly started playing it with with it myself. And okay. um, it, it is quite cool. And I've actually bought one of the Jetson Nanos. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yes, those uh, they look pretty slick for at least for what I'm doing for home, which is right now nothing. But how do you how do you like it? <laughs> what do you what are your thoughts? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, I really like it. Um, the main problem I had was is I was running on the in-town luck before. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to detect people, you know, if they're in your front garden or what have you, um, to trigger motion and send you an alert. And yeah. that was working great, but because it's quite intensive on your computer, it wasn't sufficient. So that's why I, I bought the Jetson Nano and went that route instead, you know. So it's a dedicated system for processing sure. the images. And that um, that works really well, actually. Um, 
I did have to do a bit of playing around um, with some custom models because you do have different uh, qualities, you know, for different accuracy. Yeah. So um, there's a Home Assistant add-on. I don't know if you've looked at it for DeepStack. Uh, not, I've, I just used a uh, native image processing so far. I haven't looked at any of the modules or anything like that. So what is, what's that do? Well, at the moment, I would say it doesn't do a huge amount. So I just use it for detecting people and cars and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the main one I do actually is um, an improvement to an existing automation. So I'm sure everyone's had the thing where you're waving your hands around at the PIR, you know, trying to turn the light back on. Yeah. And um, in the lounge, uh, that was getting a bit frustrating because... I'd set it to 30 minutes, uh, but the problem with that is then every time you leave the lounge, your light is left on, you know, for 30 minutes when it doesn't yeah. really need to be. So we've got a camera in the lounge. So I thought, well, I know we'll get it to take a picture every minute, process it, see if a person's sitting on the sofa. And then if they are, we can treat that as someone being in the lounge and therefore, you know, leave the light on. So, uh, so that's what I've done. And it seems to be working quite well at the moment. It's only been running for probably five or six weeks. Okay. That's kind of cool. So, so you're basically doing people detection in there. So at the, at that point then, is it even worth having your motion detectors, your PIRs? No, it's a good question. Uh, I would say so at the moment, just because it's got the lux sensors as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it also, I only do one every minute, whereas, you know, the motion ones do happen immediately. As soon as yes. you uh, mm-hmm. go past them, it will turn the light on. But I think the combination works quite well there. Although uh, the Mrs. has already tried to uh, combat that as well by wearing a blanket, which is a similar color to the sofa, and then putting <laughs> the iPad in front of her face. <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. I love that she's actively trying to sabotage your automation. That's... <laughs> Maybe you just need to get like a heat sensing camera and, you know, there's a human body in there. That's a good idea. Yeah. Until she takes a portable heater and puts it next to her. (laughs) Yeah. Or wears a fire suit. That's right. That's right. Uh, I I feel like this is some kind of YouTube series where she's just going around trying to sabotage your things to make you feel like (laughs) it doesn't work. Brilliant. So, yeah, with DeepSack, I suppose that's how far I've got, really. I did look into the custom models that I know you've talked about of detecting yeah. other objects, but I feel like it's it's the next level up still at the moment, isn't it? You know, where it's really quite technical still and you need a lot of different applications and lots of images to test it on. So I'm really hoping that in the next year, you know, that'll evolve and you will be able to detect things like the DPD van outside your house. Yeah, well, it, it, that, that's exactly what I've been trying to. Again, I, I, so right now I don't have any any cameras outside. I'm, I'm going to be putting them in. Uh, right. Hopefully, when it gets a little bit warmer, so hopefully sooner rather than later, but uh, not at this rate. Um, so the idea is, how can I stream that video? And, and exactly like you said, right? Is, hey, you know, the uh, Amazon delivery guy is here, or the UPS delivery guy is here, because. Even a lot of times, like even though we're we're home, like at like if I'm on a call or something like that with like if I'm working, I have my notifications uh, turned on, uh, turned off, even on my Amazon Echo, things like that, right? So I don't I don't get I don't see the you know the ding dong your box has arrived kind of thing or your package is here kind of thing, um, and and I try and silence the uh, doorbell and such as well, and and the yeah. the idea is you know hey 
the the ring will go off. It'll alert me of motion, and then and then I can just look on my phone. Realistically, I when I'm focused on you know talking to a customer or, or focused on doing whatever task, I, I sometimes I forget to look at my phone, and you mm-hmm. know whatever package I don't want sitting out there all day, right? So yeah. Um, at least that way, that's that's another thing to set some kind of a, another reminder. Uh, I, I run into the same problem in terms of how do I actually realize that there's something outside. But uh, but it's also about, hey, great. Now, based on that, start recording and make sure that there's no motion around it and things like that, right, that, that you can do. Yeah, well, you can do it in conjunction with motion sensors, which are sometimes on the camera as well. So, yeah, I've got the Anki C800 and they're created by the same company as Hikvision, I believe. So I think some okay. people don't realize that you can use the Hikvision add-on and then use the functionality of the camera to tell you when, you know, motion has been detected. So you can at least use that as your initial sensor in Home Assistant. And then you can use that to, you know, to say to DeepStack, oh, can you take a photo now, please? Because I think I've got, um, you know, something that might be a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, Mark, you mentioned before that you're using a deep stack, a deep stack component. Was that something that you found, like, as an official add-on in like uh, the Hasoyo add-on store, or was it like a, a custom component that was available through Hacks? Because I know I've seen one in the in Hacks as a custom component that you can get from there. Mm, I'm trying to think now. I, I think it was done by a Rob Mark Cole or something like that. He's quite heavily involved in the deep stack stuff. And it does use the image processing um, component. Yeah. So that's, that, that's what I'm using. I have, I haven't done a time through it just because my, uh, I don't have my camera set up fully, fully rigged up yet. So right now I'm just trying to just dump a bunch of images, trying to just trying to get deep stack to learn right now. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've, I've, I've still yet to figure out a way of, you know, getting a bunch of, um, like, how can I passively learn, right? Because that's, that's one of those things I want to do too, is maybe just set up a camera, like, just while, while I'm in testing mode, while the winter's still going on, set up a camera, mm. maybe near my desk or something like that. So, so it's looking at me and, and capturing maybe once a minute and saying, okay, this is like just understanding my, my, my face and whatnot, right? That's that's a really cool idea because because DeepSat can do the face recognition as well, can't it? You can yeah, just send it a bunch of face facial yeah. pictures. Um, that's one thing I wanted to do, but I haven't really got a, a camera that um, is close enough to people to recognize them. If you know what I mean, probably the one in the lounge. Well, maybe, um, but I think the doorbell one would be good for that. But I don't have a doorbell that's yeah. hooked into Home Assistant because of the whole cloud thing, I think it's really difficult still to, you know, find a doorbell that nicely integrates into home assistant that's locally controlled. Yeah. And, and I mean, even, even if like, I mean, for me, for work, I just, I know I have a laptop camera or whatever, but I normally keep my laptop underneath and whatever clamshell mode or whatever, like just keep it shut. And I have my external mm-hmm. uh, keyboard mouse and, and, and uh, monitor. And uh, I've actually got an external camera on there as well. Um, it's, right. it's a nicer, it's a nicer high def camera, but so maybe it's something like, you know, I just have a script on in my laptop just to take a picture as, as creepy as, uh, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that sounds kind of creepy. Uh, and I'm pretty sure there's spyware that I can just download to, to, to do that for me, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, you know, it might be something like that. Right. And, and naturally when you turn your head and stuff, hopefully it gets different angles and that kind of thing. Right. So even if it's the side of my face, it knows the side of my profile as me and things like that. 
again, I'm and and the nice thing I like about this is it's all local, so I'm not as worried yeah. about like you know me walking around the mall and I don't know Google or somebody or Amazon being like, oh my god, he shops here, and, and I'm gonna throw all of these ads at him or what whatever that is, right? So it's a little more private, so I'm a little more comfortable with that. So yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think that's why I went for it really because it's all local. Yeah, but, like I say, I think it will probably take another year, but within the next year i think that's really going to take off there's already a lot of cameras aren't there that are doing person detection integrated into their systems you know rather than having them separately yeah exactly and exactly. on the hardware itself as opposed to having to be shipped off to the cloud right yeah mm, that's true yeah yeah uh, there was one more thing i wanted to talk about and um, because you guys talked about it with uh, liam on the last podcast and that was about the irrigation mm. system side of things yeah. Uh, because this is something that I did a couple of years ago. And since I've moved, I've half set it up again, but I haven't had a chance to finish it off yet. And, um, it was, it was quite funny listening to really, because likewise, a couple of years ago, I went on holiday and at the hotel, I was like, Oh, these sprinklers are really cool. You know, they pop out the ground, they look brilliant. Yeah. And so yeah. I went on the internet and bought a few of them and, uh, I've set them up at this house but I had some set up at the old house as well. And they are activated via solenoids so that, you know, when it's dry, when the soil's dry rather, then it will say, oh, okay, I need to turn the sprinklers on today if it's not going to rain. Mm -hmm. And then it will just automatically turn them on for 10, 20 minutes and then turn them off again. That's pretty good. Yeah, like that's a good way of saving it too. So are are these uh, sensors built into the sprinkler or is that... Just an extra sensor you just stick in the ground and uh, you get a you get a reading off of. Or is uh, it integrating with the weather? My like flora ones, you know the yep. um, my flora sensors. Mm, they're not waterproof, yep. but I just use some of the um, like plumbers waterproof stuff around them, and and then they last the whole summer really like that because uh, again yeah. they're just Bluetooth. The tricky thing I suppose is having a sensor that's close enough you know, to them to be able to read it because Bluetooth low energy, you know, doesn't reach very far, does it? Yeah, yeah. So do you just use like an ESP or something? Uh, I used to have a Raspberry Pi in the garage. That's what, yeah. that's what I had. And I think I could do that here as well, really. So that's probably what I'll do. Although the ESP is a lot easier now, isn't it, with those MyFloras? So I did look at that a few weeks ago and I couldn't get it working. And I remember you guys talking about it and saying, oh, it works great. And I thought, oh, what's wrong? And I realized that it was because the firmware was so old on the MyFloras that I had that I had to update it and then it started working. Yeah, it's, I I, I love it. That's a, to me, that's one of those things that, that, that was my first kind of entry into the whole ESP space. Because again, it's very, I'm, I'm not a hardware guy in that sense by any means, right? Like I'm not like, oh yeah, I'm just going to put this together and build this out and do whatever. Um, I'm starting to get more like that, but not yet. Um, and you know, that was one of those things you just kind of plug it in and uh, use ESP home and push the firmware to it and boom, off you go. It just, it shows up and, or you, you add it to home assistant and everything is just there, right? Sensors get added and all that stuff. It, it's, I, I just thought it was really slick. I, I mean, I still think it's really slick the way it's done. So <laughs> how are you powering your garden? Like are you using like a, like a, I think they're called rain machines or ratio. Like have you got like a, an irrigation controller that you then hook into home assistant? So I, I just bought, uh, it was like a 10 pound solenoid valve that's 12 volts DC. And then I hooked it up mm. to a Sonoff SV. So a uh, mm. 12 volt Sonoff and had that in a box. I actually had that inside, inside the garage and then ran a waterproof wire out to the solenoid from there. 
And then, yeah, that's just in line with the hose. And then the hose goes all the way around to the front of the house. Um, and then I've got the sprinklers embedded into the into the grass, you know, and then they pop up and uh, yep. and water them like that. Yeah, interesting. Oh, okay. That's nice. Yeah, I looked at doing that in the summer, but just right before my backyard got done and then they came in like a month before they were supposed to. So I never ended up getting the parts. And <laughs> otherwise, I could also say I have a cool setup like that, but I can't. <laughs> I would say it's one of those worth doing. Um, yeah, it is. It does actually take quite a while. In in the really hot months, you know, when you if you're watering it twice a day, if you really want nice grass, and uh, doing the front and back can take a while. So uh, it's quite a time saver. So I think it's it's worth doing because it's quite a fun project to do as well. Yeah. Did you did you um, do it all yourself, or did you get somebody? And that that's something I've been debating too. Is it is it easy enough that I I can do it or yeah i mean i've had the luxury of doing it a couple of times i suppose now so <laughs> it was certainly trial and error because the first time i had you know the micro system feeding the plants and then mm. some of the plants at the end wouldn't get enough water so i was like all right i've got to run more piping to them you know <laughs> so yeah. I've, I've learned over time and bought a few different types of sprinklers so i bought originally you know the um rainbird ticker ones where they sort of make that noise yeah and and they were really good, but even more than one connected to the hose at the same time didn't have enough pressure for it to work properly. So, yeah, I just had to try a few different others and make sure that there was sufficient water pressure, you know, for it to water the whole garden. Interesting. Okay. So there was there was a decent amount of trial and error that went into yeah, it. Yeah, there was. <laughs> okay. Okay, good to know. So set aside a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, I think I should be able to do that. Let's see. Awesome. Yeah, Mark, thank you so much. You've got an awesome setup. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah. It's still evolving as always. Kind of, kind of jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, can where can people reach out to you? You're on Reddit, Twitter? Ah, good question. Um, my presence is not very good at the moment, but I'm definitely hoping <laughs> to improve on that over the coming months. It's one of those, you know, where you... You don't think your setup's very good until <laughs> you get to a certain point and you think, oh, maybe it's okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm just sort of getting to that point where I think I might reach out to people and uh, start adding back to the community, you know, like a lot of other great people do. Nice. Awesome. I'll look forward to it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Rohan. Really appreciate it. Of course. Glad you were able to make it. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at podcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rowan Caramandy. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.